Welcome, everybody. I know as you heard right there. Welcome, everybody. This is Sharon Smith. And yes, we are back once again. I know we've been on a little hiatus, but you know what? I will say that in another podcast. But right now, we are here in Iambic Poetry Podcast with, and once again, a returning guest. You all know her from doing my loudmouth. You all know her from doing real poetry. And you also all seen her in uh, her first book when she first came out. She is now back. She's in demand. And she had another book made, co-wrote. I'd like to give you none other than my amiga, my friend, my Latina girl, Suprema, Diana Medina. Hey. Latina girl Suprema. I want to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> like if that if that is not yet a order that one can order at Taco Bell, it will be on a t-shirt for me. Oh. Latina girl Suprema. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sharon. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, definitely. I mostly it was you kind of pushed me and said, Hey Sharon, you still doing your podcast? I said, Well, if you are, yeah, I yeah. I just I kind of, I'm going to be honest, I, I did a little hiatus for a little bit because I was working on other broadcasts and other stuff. Of so. course. Yeah. We all need breaks about things. But so, I, well, thank you for me. letting me come on and uh, get you rustily out of your hiatus <laughs> yes. for a worthy project. Yes. <laughs> and then the funny thing is, it's actually my an the anniversary of Iambic. This is. Oh, really? Month. How yes. many years now? Three? Yes. Nope. Five. Four. Amazing. Five years. It's Congratulations. Like, yeah, you know, I said that. I was like, what the heck? I've been doing this for how long? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've been doing this for five years. Yes. Well, when, you huh? when you love it, you love it. What have you learned in five years of Iambic Poetry oh. Podcast? Oh, well, what I've learned in what I've learned in five years that poetry is like ice cream. There's so many flavors, and sometimes you got to figure out what, what the preference is because you can't sell all of them. <laughs> True, and no and some that. of them you can't mix together. You can't mix either. Either, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. It's like ice cream, you just got to go. Okay, you want some strawberry? You want some of this? You want some chocolate chip? What What do you want? It's like mm. it's not poetry. Is not like a smoothie, maybe where the fruits yell things at each other when uh, they. I, <laughs> I yeah. yes, it does very. They do some real interesting things. What I've done, but yeah. It's it's a it's a preference. People have their own preferences, and you kind of learn from. Even if you're trying to present poetry, you have to also learn that the fact that not everyone's gonna get, with mm. they might get one thing, but if you don't keep on giving that same one thing, they're not gonna they don't want anymore. So it's like, oh, okay, mm, so I gotta, interesting. I gotta factor it out. So well, my hypothesis about poetry uh -oh. is that everybody speaks in poetry, whether they know it or not. Oh. So when you tell a room of people that, then everybody's like, oh, crap, I speak in poetry. Oh, crap, what am I saying? Is what I'm saying poetry right now. <laughs> so and, they then watch, like, so they watch and then they want to know. <laughs> so they watch themselves. Okay. Because yeah. they might be speaking some serious poetry. Right? Worse. Yeah, then they pay attention to their own word choices. Because right, that's what poetry is. It's powerful word choice yeah, um, powerful word in an unexpected way. So, you know. But as we can dive on to that, but the poetic of segueing, what is this new book that you are promoting and co-authored with? What is it called? What is this book? This book is called um, this book is called Amplify Student Voices. Ah. Uh, Equitable practices to build confidence in the classroom is the tagline. Um, so it is it is a lot of words. <laughs> um, but the book is a book for educators um, about how to use. Uh, voice so any method of expression and public speaking as a central part of learning so oh. something like can you use debate can you use storytelling can you use poetry can you use um you know presentations can oh, okay. you teach people about advocacy skills and can you use those things in a classroom to be a core part of learning um and how you do that so we created like a method of facilitation called expression-driven teaching, hmm. where we walk teachers um, how to do that. Um, and what are the things that you need in order for uh, youth voice and you know expression of students to really be like a central part of your classroom. Because sometimes, you know, I don't know if you ever think about like when you were in school, anytime you, put, you spoke up, 
it was probably for a presentation. It was probably for a grade. You were probably being, you know, judged by your peers or graded by your teacher. Right. (laughs) Um, and the, and the idea here is that, um, expression is part of our learning. So how do you create a system in a, in a classroom where, you know, when, when a young person speaks up, it's not for a grade, it's because that's part of their learning. And then you can figure out the way you grade it. Hmm. It's good that you said, because a lot of times when I always thought of the way schools will always run it was the fact mm-hmm. of obedience. I mean, because yeah, compliance. It, yeah, compliance, because yeah. that's why the whole raise your hand came into order. And still, still this day, you still see older folks raising their yep. hand, waiting for them to get answered because it's, it's yep. kind of embedded in us. And whereas before, it's always been if you talk out a term, you always get kind of penalized or something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's harsh or sometimes it's just unfavorable, but you always get the one you will never, you've always got to the point where you kind of checked yourself of how you spoke out. And it's always right. been problem. Right. You're, you're the you're the problem child, and yeah, that's always been us. But nowadays, I know it's kind of now they're trying to favor that as a way of think the way of thinking because they also now figured out that well we have AD we have ADHD kids and we have this going yeah. on yeah lots of um, <laughs> what are the uh, neurodivergence yes, in a lot yeah. of ways right so yeah. knowing it shows up in a lot of ways um, is important but I think it's also important to remember that um like the philosophy around learning Mm -hmm. has been evolving and we're learning a lot more about how sort of one way doesn't necessarily work for all kinds of kids like Mm. then what'll end up happening is like oh if i'm if i'm the kid that never gets called on in my class i start to feel like i'm not a smart kid Mm -hmm. even though i might have like notebooks and notebooks full of poetry where i'm like expressing myself but because there's not a class assignment that's going to allow me to turn that in. Now I'm not considered a smart kid. Now I start to believe that. So now I engage less in my class and then I get labeled as a problem kid. And then it just kind of goes in a circle, right? Of the cycle. So the idea is like, if you start seeing that expression as a way that lots of kids share how their intelligence comes out, Mm -hmm. then, you know, and you make space for that in learning, it starts to change the way kids learn. And it might be a little noisy at the beginning. Like we definitely have to talk to teachers about like, you might lose a little bit of control and you might lose a little bit of this and it might feel chaotic, but like there's purpose in the chaos when you let kids sort of lead um, with the lead and express themselves because kids are expressing themselves for lots of different reasons, right? They're like most of, most of us do, right? Either because we write poetry or stories or whatever it is, but all of us have a desire to express what we know, what we believe, how we feel, what we think, what matters to us. Yeah. yeah. And all all we're saying is here's a way that you can pull this method into your classrooms to help you do that while mm-hmm. also teaching kids science or history or math or anything else that you have to teach them. But see, the, it sounds like a lot of it's you're going to have to break or not, well, not really break, mend the way teaching has been done from a Mm -hmm. lot of teachers because there are you know some teachers still stick with the old way or stick with something Mm. they know and it 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 kind of functions that way whereas a lot of them they want to change but they don't know how because they've been either ostracized or told if you don't do it this way you're gonna be fired and yeah that's a and that's a hard thing Mm -hmm. that's a hard thing i mean the way i put it is this way like and i um speaking from my from my humble experience, right? But one thing I I like to remind teachers that I talk to is, you know, you cannot control the bigness of the school system around you, right? right? There's lots of conversation these days about like, our systems are broken. I mean, look at right now, there's like kids out in Tennessee protesting school shootings. There's all these things, but like what's happening there, that's a student led movement. Like they are using their voice to right. do something, to bring about a change. It's just making the grownups uncomfortable, but yeah. that doesn't mean that what they're doing is wrong. Right. Um, so, and like the ability for them to be able to do that is a skill that someone had to have taught them, like to say, this is what I believe, here's what I care about. Now I'm gonna go take action about it. Mm-hmm. So the so the idea that like, oh, I have to change everything about the way I teach in order to like use something like poetry or storytelling in my classroom is wrong. What it is, is you can't look at those things like extra. 
you have to look at it as like part of what I'm doing anyway. So like, I always, we always start with like asking like, do you are, do you care about kids? Yeah, I do. I wouldn't be in this profession if I didn't. Wonderful. You care about kids. Do you care about um, encouraging them to be authentic and be themselves? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Do you help them make choices in the way that they want to learn something? Oh, well, you know, not always. Maybe it's like choose A or B. Okay. Um, do you um, have high expectations of how you expect kids to express themselves in your class? Well, yes, I want them to be quiet. And okay, but have you ever taught them? Like, what does it sound like when you express yourself? Well, have you ever taught them? Like, none of us have ever learned the skills. There's, it's just assumed that public speaking is something everybody knows how to do, but nobody teaches us how to do that. We do it because we have to, we speak up because we have to, we care about something enough to speak up about it, or we have to speak up because we're being graded on it. And we learn how to sound like everybody else to get a good grade. And it's funny how so, you point that out because public speaking is second to death. <laughs> for so many people, for so many people. Um, so then what we do is say, okay, like, so here's our method. Our method is about if you really care about kids expressing themselves in your classroom, then you will learn that how do you value when my thought is still in progress, right? So giving kids lots of opportunities in your class to be able to share their expression when it's not a fully formed thought, when it's a draft of something, because expression and progress, practicing is how you learn how to be better. So maybe this is, I'm sharing what I have so far, but this isn't for my grade. This is just me telling you what I have so far. And then when somebody tells me, oh, that's not right, you missed this and this. Okay, well, that's why I said, this is what I have so far. Let me go back and now add this and add this. So like giving them those tools to say like, here's how you create a moment where you, get kids to share their thoughts in progress a little more right. um, is useful. Down. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing is as teachers, like you can't influence the whole school system. So you have, I like to call it like you can make your classroom a tiny oasis for your students. Well, that even in your class for the 50 minutes you have them, they at least will feel heard in your class. And that's important because that means you can help prepare them to have to go out into a world that's not going to want to listen to them when their voices are going to need to be shared. You know, you have to prepare them for what that means. And there's lots of ways we can do that, but they have to practice right. speaking and using their voice because they already have one. Whether you hear it or not is because you're not making the space for it in your class, but they have it. And so how do we prepare them to go out in the world knowing the world's not going to be kind to them, right? Knowing the world might not listen to them. And what does that mean? to go out there um, and how can some of these things like poetry, like storytelling, like debates, like how do they help you do that in a class so that you're not, you know, teaching poetry in a cold way, you're teaching poetry in a way that can spark a conversation or you're using storytelling in a way that helps kids feel like, oh, I can celebrate my identity and who I am and I can relate to the character in this book I'm learning about and or I can tell you about how my ancestors lived in this particular kind of climate. And that's why, you know, I think deserts are cooler than, you know, oceans in my science class, you know? So it feels all disconnected, but it's like, what you really want is if you want expression to be part of learning, you have to be willing to like ask some different questions. I see that. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm now getting the fact that you have made a, a manual for the tools that can be used for speaking or yeah. communication. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a lot of what we cover in this manual is like, we first start with just like what gets in the way, like why aren't kids talking in your class, right? And we talk about how like the school system has been designed in such a way where lots of kids feel silenced in a lot of different ways. A lot of trauma. Um, we, yeah, a lot of trauma. We have stories, like we collected stories from over 40 students. Um, about ways that they have felt silenced. We collect advice from them about how would you give advice to teachers about some of these things so that it's more um, useful for students. Um, so that's in there, right? Talking about what gets in the way, but then also talking about like, what are the layers of things you have to care about? And this applies to any group. It's not just students. It's like the layers of things you wanna care about so that people feel like uh, welcome to share things, right? So you have to think about like, Am I facilitating the relationships in the room? Like how I get along with each person, how each person gets along with each other, right? This could even apply to like any board you're sitting on, any workplace team, but 
relationships is one thing we always have to facilitate first in order for voice to be present. The other one is like, what are the fundamentals of communication that I need to teach kids how to do? What are the ways I want them to express themselves and how do those things need to sound? So like, you know, if you want to share a speech and we want all the kids to be able to do a speech, great. Do you know how to be organized with your ideas? Do you know how to brainstorm? Do you know how to um, take feedback from a partner? Do you know how to stand up and, you know, feel confident? If you're anxious because you're standing up in front of the room, great. Do you have any tools to help you not be anxious? Because the anxiety of speaking never goes away. We just learn how to manage it differently when we learn tools to do that, right? So then there's that piece. Then you think about like, are you, do you give them enough choices of what they want to say and how they want to talk about it, right? Because different kids will have different jams. So some kids will really love structure and be like, I want to write a five paragraph essay because I like structure. I want to be able to give all my thoughts out. And other kids are like, no, I, you know, I want to freestyle rap as a way to tell you my opinion because I do things off the dome and I don't like to write. Great. Do you have a choice for each of them to be able to do that and express what they know? And then are you telling them what it looks like to grow as a result of that? So can they take that freestyle rap and can they adapt it? Can they do it the same way two or three times? That's usually what happens for me. And when I get kids that resist writing, I say, okay, do it once, let me hear it. And then they do it and it's amazing. Great, can you do it again? But this time try to stay within two minutes and they can't do it again the same way because they didn't write it down. And then eventually the kid will be like, I should write some of this down, shouldn't I? Yes, you should, that's growth. For you to understand, I need to organize my ideas in order for them to be the strongest they can be, growth, that's what growth is. Being able to adapt to different contexts, knowing, oh, this audience might not care about rap, so maybe I'll say that part instead of rap it. You know, that's growth, right? Being able to adapt what you want to say to who's going to listen and how you want them to hear what you want to say, all that stuff. So then you think about that for each kid. You think about that for each kind of way you want to create um, expression um, in the classroom. You think about like, okay, like now I can use poetry in a math class and it doesn't feel weird because we can have them like write a poem about the day they met math, right? And it could be all sorts of things. So anyway, I can go on. No, you, 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 you. Don't. <laughs> no, I, I'm letting you speak because you're you're really going on a a point of where even uh even when I even when I was a kid or, or when I was younger and started to doing rap and stuff, my brother would just he was a good rapper, but he never wrote anything down. I just recorded him and then let him listen back and listen back to what he said. So he because he'll just forget about it. he'll just say some nonsense. Yeah. And- Going to and like tangent, yeah. And in a traditional school system, a kid who needs that might be labeled disruptive. Yeah. But really, that's just your intelligence works in a different way. Like I remember being in a college class with a student who needed to take tests with his headphones on mm-hmm. because the way he remembered how to write down his answers to the essay questions in our biology class was by creating raps about them. So he needed the beat to recall the information the way he studied it. Um, Get away with that. Because now I'm I'm seeing that as a so many people looked at it as a restriction or even a, yeah they could restrict it but like he yeah. went to the he went to the office of um so every college will have like one of those offices that helps make accommodations for students that are mm-hmm. neurodivergent this was right. part of his, the way his neurodivergence uh was manifesting itself and therefore this is a support I need in order to be able to take this test in the best score possible nice. I mean, I'm glad that they agreed upon it because I'm. Yeah, the teacher was totally up for it. But in a lot of places, they're not. We're taught to think that in order for serious learning to happen, that means it has to be silent. And like some of us don't learn that way. Lots of people don't learn that way. Yeah. And and unfortunately, that that is now, should have been, but that has now become a thing where you now see that there's multiple ways of learning, even though Mm -hmm. the fact that these things have have been dated from the beginning. But nobody wanted to take that in consideration. They've always wanted to go, this is the way we learn. This is the way you got to li- take it or leave it. If you fail, that's not our fault. You should learn. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> yep. I should learn to do your way, even though it doesn't work for me. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's, have you ever seen that graphic of um, like, this is what school feels like. And then there's like a little starting line and they're going to race. And yeah. like, there's a person, a bear, ish, a cat a bird all starting line and it basically who's going to win the race when the race when you win is how fast you can run the fish isn't going to win that race because that race is not for the fish 
<laughs> but that doesn't mean that the fish isn't smart. That's true. So it's it's like the idea of like we need to kind of sometimes walk away from the the comp the complexity of intelligence has to be measured this way uh, needs to be open more to like intelligence can look lots of different ways and kids should have lots of ways that they can feel smart in their classrooms um, and a test isn't always going to give you uh, the results that you want right so a better question to ask is not like how do I make sure my kids know what they know it's you know maybe a teacher has to think like what do I what do I want my students to be able to say and mm. who do I want them to be able to say it to? And therefore, what is the best way to show that? Is it a presentation? Is it a test? Is it an essay? Then they can start thinking of it, like now think about what the product instead of they all have this race. So we have to prepare them for the race, even though like if my kid is a fish, it, he's not going to be able to run because that's just not where his skill sets are. Right. It, it's also his environment's not not, doesn't equate he's not exactly. adapted to the environment so correct like you can't you can't expect the fish to climb a tree that's just not that's because right that's big that's big lumber wanting you to believe something <laughs> <laughs> but i've also so with this with this new book or manual you've written with other um co-authors co so um, tell me about them yeah, so I wrote uh, this book with two of my colleagues from the nonprofit we work at called The Practice Space. Um, and we teach uh, public speaking skills to youth and adults. So our our goal is to redefine what good public speaking looks and sounds like by helping people understand that public speaking is just a way you communicate your identity to the world. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. So um, we wrote this book all together. It's uh, Anne-Marie Baines, who's the founder of The Practice Space, the nonprofit I work for, and my boss, um, and Caitlin Healy, who's one of my colleagues. Uh, and she they're both um, former classroom teachers. Uh, they have a lot of background. So my boss, Anne-Marie, has a PhD in learning sciences. Nice. My colleague, Caitlin, um, worked for many years as a high school teacher at a continuation high school. So she also understands just like ways that you teach kids when like these are the kids that people say are hard to teach mm -hmm. um and then you have me who's like you know storyteller poet person and uh yeah we sort of combined all of our ideas about how you make um how you teach expression because what we came to understand with our work with young people and old people when when you work in public speaking in general everybody has an anxiety about it everybody has a fear about it and everybody has stereotypes about how they think it's supposed to sound when you're confident. And we're wanting to say, actually, there's lots of ways you can sound. And, you know, it's more important for you to be authentic than it is to sound correct, quote unquote, correct. Um, and what does that mean? And how do we teach that? So all of the stuff in this manual is um, from all the programs that we've done. It's based on things that we teach kids, um, stuff we use with adults as well. Um, all sorts of things like that. Are you so? Are you are you trying to show a way where not only the the child or the adult can um, master the art of the speech, but now you can actually show the the teacher can actually show the child or the student that hey, if you if you're having struggle if you're having struggle if you're struggling speaking, having a speech problem or or having speech problem or having just to say, I want to do a speech, but you don't know where you're going with it. Well, let's let's try it as a poem, and yep. then work our way from there, and then we yeah, can exactly. take the ideas from there, and then put it into the speech. Yeah, you know, sounds like like we like we talked yeah. about with stories and stuff, where you can actually take little pieces and shorten mm -hmm. it down to um, the methods of what you. Yeah, want. yeah, exactly. So it's mm -hmm. thinking about um, so the two chapters that I we all kind of took on writing different elements of the book. Nice. Um, we did the method together. So the method is called expression driven teaching, which covers like, these are the things that teachers who care uh, about expression care about. These are the ways that you facilitate that stuff, you know, all that stuff comes into play. And then we have chapters on like, what are the different kinds of expression you can use in a classroom to get teaching to happen. So we have a whole chapter on debate. We have the chapters on storytelling and poetry, which are the two I did. We have a chapter on presentations, like how do you make those be more lively than just like a kid standing in front of a PowerPoint sounding like the clear eyes guy? Because that's not a good presentation. Nobody likes that. Um, 
and then uh, and then self-advocacy. How do you uh, take all of those skills and then put them into how do I now take my expression out into the world when I might not always be um, supported there, but like I might need to talk about what my needs are. I might need to talk to adults about something I need them to do for me. I might be a student that has, you know, um, specific learning needs that I need to ask for in an IEP meeting at a school. How do I do that? How do I ask my parents to, you know, allow me to do this thing? How do I ask my teacher for an extension on a project? Or if I'm a student that is like coming to know my gender identity, how do I share with my peers and teachers, hey, this is my, the pronouns I'd like you to use for me or things like that. So that's also, it also covers like just, not just speaking to present, but speaking because you need to. So we consider public speaking anything that happens where you express yourself outside of yourself. Um, so whether that's to an audience of 100 people or one other person, that's public speaking. Right. And all of us need different tools to support how we do that well. Do you also have like a, a portion of the book talking about um like I think because they would call it pitching, you know, salesman pitch. So do you have persuasiveness? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Persu- well, not just persuasiveness, but also tell tell them what you want, like you just said about your gender or things you want to say to somebody in a short amount of uh, like an elevated pitch type where you can get to the point or get to enough information where they go, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Instead of, you know, having to do an essay, trying to explain all the characteristics and all the little things and yeah. details and what you need to get to. And they're going to like, I don't remember what you said, the first thing, your thesis. Yep. <laughs> so when I work with adults, some of this is in the book and then some of this is just like a tidbit. But like, usually when I work with kids and adults and I ask them a question like that, like, why do you want something? Right. They'll give me their whole life story. Adults will give me the whole life story about all the things they want. EMI. And I, <laughs> and then I say to myself, I have heard your story but I do not know what your story is trying to tell me about what it is you want. And so you need to teach people shortcuts. So we teach people short. So one of the shortcuts we teach them, here's a little free game is the three M's, right? So the three M's is your memory, Mm -hmm. your main idea, and then your moral or like what you want people to do. So then you would say something like, I remember a time when I wasn't allowed to, you know, study with my headphones on in my science class. And I really asked my teacher because of that, right? So you share a few sentences about what's the memory and what's the story, but you don't give me the whole novel. You give me the Polaroid snapshot of what was that moment? Why was it hard? Therefore, what is the main idea? The main idea is that, you know, as a result of this, I learned that people need different things to study and to recall Mm -hmm. information. And so this is why I advocated for myself to have my headphones on during my exam because that was going to help me focus. And so in the future, what I would like you to do, the moral of my story is if a student asks you to let them listen to headphones, consider that it's because they need that and not because they want to be distracted in your class or because they want to tune you out. Maybe that's what they used to study and they need to have a catalyst to awaken their creative memory bank to be able to write the answers down that you're asking of them, right? right? So you take that little formula and it sort of condenses it into what are the most important parts of what you're trying to say and what's your goal, right? Do I want to get people to think something? Do If I want people to just be all about my story, great, tell a long story. That's if that's mm-hmm. the best route. But if you're asking for something, that's probably not the best route. See that. So it's also talking about that, like when using poetry in the classroom, for example, sometimes we talk, I talk about um, in the chapter on poetry that sometimes the way poetry is taught is limited to like old famous dead people right <laughs> here we go <laughs> and and not like and and that's fine but yeah. we also want to have like who's living right now because yes. like poetry as a practice like my argument with poetry is like poetry back in the day like before all, like it was the tiktok the twitter the instagram of the time was poetry this yeah. is how people shared things like poetry is the only thing that could be a historical document. Mm -hmm. It could be a weapon Mm -hmm. for people to be convinced to do something. It could be a way to express yourself and show your family history. Like it was so many things. So when you're teaching this, when you're using this in the classroom to not tell kids that, hey, we're about to do something that is deeply ancestral, that is part of sparking conversation. If these people putting words together in this way makes you think, Wonderful. That's the point. Now let's say out loud what it makes you think. 
because the whole point is how do you use poetry to spark conversation in your class? And then that conversation can go towards other things, right? Then the other thing to think about there is like, sometimes kids will get asked to write an assignment, like a poetry assignment. So how do you do that in a way that helps everybody feel honored? How, how do you grade poetry when poetry is so subjective? You don't, right. you, you have to use other methods like sharing, giving kids affirmation, you know, calling, giving it flowers, right? You give the poet their flowers, but you don't get feedback until you're in a workshop mode. Then you ask the poet, what do you want to workshop? What's the thing about this poem, right? Or you bring up ways that you get feedback. So you don't say this isn't a great poem. You say, hey, that line you had in the poem about this fruit talking to that fruit left me curious because of this, this, and this. I wonder if you could expand on that next time or if the poem's not yet finished, maybe you could say a little more about that so that I, like the rest of the audience isn't curious about this part. That's how you grade a poem, right? It's, it's in a way that's supporting the kid to deepen their thoughts a little bit more. So anyway, I walked through things like that. I walked through exercises in that chapter on what if kids say, we don't write poetry. Okay, you don't have to write poetry. All I'm asking is for the next three minutes for you to write four lines. They don't even have to make any sense. Just write four lines about anything you want. Um, or you, you, know, you use different, or you can follow the format of another poet and say, okay, like now, how, what would be the next line you add to this, poem's po this poet's poem, you know? Right. So that you say it from your perspective, right? So there's things like that where it's just a way to spark a conversation in a class and awaken the, the room of some kids, you know, other things like having a kid uh, listen to their poem be read by another student mm. um, so that they see. can think about their own poetry yes. and how it lands. You know, there's all those strategies that we as poets use in our writing circles, right. but in the classroom, those can be really powerful ways for kids to build their self-awareness, right. for them to bond with their classmates. Um, and you can also spark a conversation about something. So when I spoke to um, Sarah Okte, uh, Len's, Len's wife, and she was talking about using poetry and science. It was a, it was fascinating because she's like, yeah, oftentimes, you know, all we have to explain the world around us and like the science stuff is poetry. Like, because mm -hmm. how else, you know, or like sometimes um, math is an math in itself is, is a is a, you know, subject based in equations. Equations are metaphors. Metaphors yes. are for poetry, right? That, so math is poetry, is right? So. I mean, it's a stretch, but it's 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 not a stretch because it's it's how you can just use it to spark a conversation in your class other than saying, hey, everybody, what do you think? And then getting crickets in the room, which is usually what happens. Like a lot of teachers will be like, how do I get kids to talk in my class? And that's they're asking the wrong question. They're they're asking, um, you know, something that you want to happen. But if you're not if you're not creating it from the bottom and teaching it, then it's not going to happen. I've always, I've always been. I think that's what made me more look towards math than towards mm. English or or literature itself. Was the fact that it was it was always so subjective. Your teacher can mm -hmm. grade your tests and, or grade your words by just by looking at it. And say, well, you used the wrong word or you used the wrong phrase. Like, and you're not and you're not being told. Well, why is this phrase wrong? Mm -hmm. In your case, is it because yeah. the way you you worded, or the way it sounded to you, doesn't sound right? And mm -hmm. whereas in in, mat in mathematics and stuff, it's all just formula. You follow this. You follow this thing. It goes down. Yeah. The numbers there. He can go do the same thing, calculate the same way. It should come out the same. If there's a little adjustment, it's always just. It's always it still comes out the same way where everyone can say, okay, I agree with that. That's the same, that's the same number. Whereas with um, literature and stuff, it's always a subject. It's always a subject or it's always something yeah. that they can look at and go yes or no. It's yep. not a, it's not a, it's an interpretation issue. It's like, okay, well, that's not going to be that if I don't like it, he may like it or I, you know, that's, that's interpretation. That that's the yeah. purpose, that's perspective. But yeah. Yeah. And because mm -hmm. of that, then mm -hmm. that makes people literally uncomparable to each yeah. other. Because then you have to you have to find some other way to talk about like the impact that that person's words have on each right. person because it's subjective, right. right? So giving kids that kind of vocabulary to say, oh, like 
when I read this book, it made me think of this. That's sure. free association. But they, if they don't have the skill to understand that like free association is something that I can do as part of my learning, and that's not me tuning out, that's me finding something like the word cheese and mm -hmm. resonating with the fact that I had a cheese sandwich at lunch that was really good, but that didn't have any mayonnaise. And then you can be like, well, you know, tell me about the mayonnaise. Why didn't you have any? Oh, they ran out of it. Well, what happened? Why did they run out? Well, because I got there late. Well, what'd you get there late for? Oh, because this happened. Then now you have a whole conversation oh, that came from something that feels like a tangent, but it isn't a tangent. It's <laughs> this resonated with me. That's a very specific kind of listening, right? There's also three ways we listen to everything. We listen things based on ourselves, right? Self-focused listening is when I hear a poet. I, I've heard this happens to me when you perform all the time. Um, people perform and the stuff that they're saying makes me think about stuff that I, that's coming up for me. So like, you know, your poem about smoothies making me think of what I like to get at Jamba Juice and why I don't like raspberries, but I do like bananas or whatever it is. I'm in my own head. And next thing you know, I'm three, I've missed three lines of your poem because your poem made me go inside of myself and connect to myself in a way that I hadn't before. That's self-focused listening. Other focused listening is when I can come back out of that listen to the poet performing and everything they're doing and saying I'm listening to, the way their hands are, their facial expressions, their eyes, their gestures, um, their choice of words, the way their posture changes during certain parts of the poem, all other focus, everything that person is doing. And then the combo is how do I take those two things and turn it into a conversation, a question or something I need to do. That's integrated with the two, right? That's me going up to ask the poet, you know, what were you thinking about when you thought, when you wrote this line, it really, really, you know, resonated with me or thank you so much for your poem. It made me think about the last time I went to Jamba Juice. And then the poet's mm -hmm. like, actually that poem was inspired by a trip. I went to Jamba Juice. Really? How often do you go to Jamba Juice? I go to Jamba Juice too. And now you have common connection because I've used it because of the ways I was listening. Nobody teaches us how to do that though. Certainly kids aren't learning how to do that in class, right? They're learning. They have to listen to the teacher, the teacher's who they have, and then they often are doing that at the expense of listening to themselves and what their intuition might want or care about or is curious about. So, you know, some of this is also building up and making space for their curiosity to still come out and be part of the learning day without interrupting because it's part of the day. Right. And it's a, it's a point of compliance and trying to figure out yes. if, I'm, if I'm saying the right thing or am I saying the wrong thing because you don't want to be ridiculed in front of your own. Um, right, right. Peers. And then what? And then what happens in that kind of school system, right, is that the kids that sound smart or are considered smart are the ones that comply and act the way that they're supposed to and they do all the things in the checkbox. And then all the other kids that are more unique or they might have different things, they are felt silenced. They're felt made to feel like they're not smart. They're made to feel like they don't fit, right? And that then brings with them a narrative that they internalize the rest of their life. And then they feel the same way in a workplace and in their family and in a new relationship like it all comes back to all stuff together. <laughs> yeah. Well, because so everybody's good. spaghetti, right? We're all spaghetti that's mixed with sauce. You know, the sauce is you can't unsauce your noodles once they're all mixed with stuff. You you know, you just have to understand. It's a, it's a big mess. It's a mess. It's a weird metaphor. I'm, I'm, but anyway, I'm what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is what I'm saying. If you're Alfredo, that's fine. But if I'm marinara, either way, if both of our noodles are sauced up, we can't unsauce them. Mm. That's true. You know, unless I take noodle by noodle and like wipe it off with a napkin to put Ooh. it in a new plate. But that is its own emotional labor of needing to wipe off the ways of being that taught me that this was wrong or right. That's a, that's a scary, um, great, great North um, um, cartoon episode. It was disturbing. <laughs> it, <laughs> wait, they uh, unsauced noodles? They washed the used noodles. And put them back in. Yes, it's it's, it's an episode. Yes, and no on Cartoon was, Network. It was like no, no. It was um, it's Fox. This is um, Fox. Great North. Yes, um, Great Never North is a, a new a new is a sec the same people that make um Bob's Burgers. They made this show called Great North, where it's a family living in um in Alaska and how they ah family. okay okay yeah because it's a, it's just that episode was. But it has a lot of diversity. It has a one of the kids is um is openly openly um gay, 
Mm. And he, he goes through his functions of his life and even his sister and his dad, his own brother married to a black lady and everything. It's, it's, it's a pretty good show. It's, it's, so it's a good, diverse story with interesting, diverse storyline. But, but, it. but it's just an odd pair of how they function in Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that reminds me of that show I watched of, um, oh, God. It was on TLC called Alaskan Bush People. And it was like, you remember that show, right? Of that family from Alaska living off the grid. And then one of them makes his whole house out of tires. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Wow. There's some, you see, you find some stuff on some TV. You find find some gems. (laughs) It it encourages my inner anthropologist to, you know, come out and play. But where can they find uh, Amplify the, Your Soul book at? Amplify Student Voices. Amplify Student um, Voices. Sorry. Amplify Student Voices. Uh, they can though. find it. It is all, it is available on Amazon. Okay. They can find it at the uh, publisher's website. So our publisher is ASCD. They are a publisher that publishes educational books. Um, or they can uh, find it on our website, the um, practice-space.org. Um, and we have copies of, available as well. Oh, okay. So, uh, so speaking of which, so are you, I know your book, Healing Out, Healing Out Loud, is still been out there doing its in thing. In the world, it has, yeah. And you can get your, and you can get your copy from her, for her book. From me. From her or on, yes. or on Amazon. They still have copies. Yeah, they Never still have Amazon. copies. But hit me up on Instagram because, you know, oh. it's better to hit up the artist directly to get, um, if, if you want to get, get a bigger copy. cut if you want a copy um also fun fact i wrote original poetry for the amplify student voices book so there's uh, the chapter includes uh several of the chapters include some some poems from me some poems from students so there's also like just because it's a book about how to facilitate things doesn't mean you're not getting doses of the poetry and other things in there. there's definitely still some of that and if anybody didn't know uh if, if you did not know diana was a co-student a uh, co-student with me on the comical on uh, capital storytellers uh on the com- comedy the comedy storytelling storytelling and also storytelling 101 so she's, you know i tried to get on a comedic storytelling open mic i did not make it but uh, i was trying to tell my comedic story about the time i lost six kids on a amusement park ride when i worked for a summer camp okay we got um, <laughs> we could totally talk about that but um but i have lots of kids that it in my classes that are interested in comedic storytelling. So like, I've been also trying to bring in some of the stuff from our class to mm-hmm. help them kind of write their jokes. Okay. Um, one kid did a whole satirical news broadcast about uh, Kiwis, the bird invading Kiwi, the la- the city in okay. New Zealand. <laughs> and like, yeah. it was hilarious. And he, he was like all the people in the, in the newscast. It was very, very cool to watch oh, him dang. sort of be creative and improv and stuff. But Some world of comedy's important. <laughs> comedy's important. And you're still doing the comedy thing. So, you I'm, know, that's also I'm fun. I'm still doing it. I'm, but I don't have as, I'm not as prevalent as a lot of the comedians that have actually kind of grown up, but I still do my thing and I'm working my, my bits. Yeah. I know I knew I was a nerd because two nights ago I went to a comedy show. Okay. And instead of listening to the comedian and the jokes the comedian was telling, I was writing down what the comedian was doing to make people listen to them okay. so that I could use that in my workshops with my students. Oh, so that's a formula right <laughs> then, there. And then I went up to the comedian afterwards and I was like, hey, I want to talk to you. I work for this nonprofit and I teach kids how to talk and you did a really good job. And I just like, I want to ask you some questions about how you did what you did because I was taking notes during your session. And he was just like, you weren't laughing? I'm like, yeah, also that, but I was taking (laughs) notes. Can I talk to you? (laughs) Anyway, I'll be interviewing him. Yeah, I'm going to interview him. Cannot That's get. the point. I was like, look, you know, it co- comedy is an important form of public speaking that yes. people can all access, yes. but the fear is the same, right? Mm-hmm. You are not sure. The ability to read your audience is important. The ability, like, the reason why a joke is funny is because you appeal to a common experience that enough people in the room have had for them to mm-hmm. be able to laugh at that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all tactics that, like, we all have to learn to make our presentations more interesting at work, at school, wherever. Like oh, yeah. all of and, us can learn that skill. And plus you have to basically you have you have to say it so many times where it 
comes to the point of being so fresh. It's not say, yeah. it's not like you're reciting and trying to remember in memory. You're trying to mm-hmm. break it down to a point where you can just get the gist of each piece and right. whatever way right. you say it, it still comes out the way you want it to, to hit. Correct. So, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Indeed. But what but. are you coming up going on? What are you coming up going on? Um, this, going uh, on this, it is national this, poetry month it is national poetry month i'm doing a couple workshops so i um i am working with a nonprofit in sac called capital storytelling yes you are um and so i'm leading a couple of workshops there so i'm doing a two-part workshop on poetry and storytelling for dreamer students at mm-hmm. sacramento state um that's uh in partnership with the dreamer resource center there so i'm going to talk to them about um why storytelling and poetry is such an ancestral practice for our people and uh, coach them through writing a poem and a story about the same moment. What is that? So why is that? No, when is it? When is it? When is it? <laughs> uh, so I have I why. Part, part one is this week on Friday. Uh, part two is next week on Friday. So the 7th and the 14th. Okay. Um, and that's for Dreamer students. Um, this week on, what is it, Thursday, I'm Thursday. also doing a virtual storytelling and poetry workshop for Capital oh, Storytelling. Oh, okay. um, and that one is more just for like the broader community. Um, I'm also going to be doing some uh, some classes on Storytelling 101 for Capital Storytelling. So I've, I've been kind of added as their, one of their kind of teaching staff uh, for that stuff. And every month I host their Community Story Lab, which is a monthly virtual gathering where people tell stories. Uh, we play some storytelling games. And then in the second hour of that open mic, we give people feedback on the stories they told. Um, and it sort of is like a master class in storytelling and speaking and sharing master your experiences. Yes. <laughs> it's a master class. Um, yeah, yeah. So that is that is the first Saturday of every month. People mm-hmm. can always tune into that. Um, and then, yeah, I got some performances coming up. So my book yeah. publisher, Alegria, is doing a spoken word poetry tour. So I've been practicing for that. We're going to be, I think there's about 15 of us poets from all over the country going to be doing some shows probably starting in September or October, but right now we're just in rehearsal mode for that. And all this is going to um, be on your website, right? Off all of this is going to be on offtheclocker.com. It will all be on my website, uh, but you can also hit me up on Instagram. My other like po- project for um, Poetry Month is going to be just trying to share some new work because I haven't written new poetry in quite some time, so I'm trying to like you move myself. Written. What? Oh, that's, that's I'm trying crazy. to move my... Well, I mean, I was writing a book. I mean, oh, it, oh, and it's 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 a different form in the brain. Like, I really struggled in in the writing process for this book because I'm used to writing from a creative place, not from a academic and knowledgeable place. So, like, I had to interview people and ask them questions, and then compile all this stuff, and then like, you know, write like what is my hypothesis of the things and. You know, I was just kind of like, I just want to write poems about stuff. but And I did. Mm-hmm. I wrote poems inspired by the pieces. Mm-hmm. But it was also a different uh, element to write a poem that is because this part of the book needs a poem to transition our thought into, oh. like, what the next thing is, for example. Oh, so, or, you had to, so you had to write a poem to formulate, to make sure it uh, associates with this um part of the story. With the work. The story, the work. Mm-hmm. With the work wow. in the book, yeah. Um, so I've been trying to write some more new poetry. Uh, and I'm working on a second poetry book, so that'll be hopefully out um, next year. Um, yeah. It'll be bilingual, so yeah. I want to write a poem where a book of poems where side by side the same poem is in English and in Spanish next to each other. Because um, feedback I got from my mom is like, "I love your poetry book, but I don't understand it because I only know like a word or two here in English or Spanish." Oh. Um, so I'm trying to like, you know, share share some poetry that my family my mom can understand is the, okay. the the motivation so yeah i've got some some stuff is coming up some stuff is coming up Something and you know of course trying to trying to get out there to perform more and stuff like that which has been a little bit challenging but um hoping that now that the now that the world is getting warmer and hopefully this rain stops then i can you know not be so worried about going outside <laughs> you got rain i got snow so huh? <laughs> i know i don't know how you're doing it up there are you making uh, snow angels and such? What, what you got? You writing? You writing jokes about the snow? That's it. My my jokes ain't my jokes are dry right now. It's just <laughs> like the snow. <laughs> yes. But everyone, take you, you for everyone out there. Go check out off the clocker. 
Facebook.com to get all the information on Diana Medina and go get that book, Amplify Your, your Student Voices. Student Voices. <laughs> and <laughs> if you can, get the book, Heal Out Loud. All that stuff together with her. And you want to talk about the um your, your uh, nonprofit organization too? Yeah, so the practice space uh, is the nonprofit I work for. Um, so uh, we are at TPS Nonprofit on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. Um, and yeah, we do programs for kids. We do private lessons for adults. So if you are an artist or anybody that is interested in improving your ability to speak about your work, uh, we do private lessons for people. We do workshops and workplaces for people, um, anything like that. So um, also happy to talk to people that are interested in partnering in that way at all. We also have an entire free curriculum of resources online that are all like free and open to the public about how to do storytelling, how to do uh, persuasive speaking, how to do a pitch. Uh, we have a job interview resource. We have all sorts of things in terms of all the ways that public speaking comes up in life for people. Um, and that is uh, practice-space.org uh, on on the internet interwebs so yeah and that'll be all up in the show notes people thank all you the show notes. <laughs> all the thank show notes. you thank you diana it's been a while i know yes but it's always good to see you it's always good to hear you always good to vibe with you we have to yes. get together because i know san francisco there a few people are coming from sacramento to go out there to work mm -hmm. at san francisco <laughs> Yeah, 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 like, yeah, like yeah. I saw Ike show's gonna be next week, so yes. I'm like, oh yes, I gotta get out and see that. Um, but no, we got yeah. we we got to hit up again because you and me, yeah, yeah. We're close. Let me know, and then let me know if you ever need a poet for your for your show. If you're still oh. doing your loudmouth show, I'd love yes, to. I am. I'd love to come I and am. tell my funny story about how I lost kids oh, on really? that ride. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were all found. No children were harmed. Wow. At least not physically. Ugh. Um, it was just a hard day because you know it was scary, but we got through it together. It's good. <laughs> and I think we'll end off on that note without getting a cat. And ask kids. questions. <laughs> ask questions at your local water park. So oh. when they say this ride is good for kids, be more curious about what that means. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to talk about this off. <laughs> don't put this part in the podcast don't put this part in the podcast it's going in <laughs> no. everyone else out there you take care have a happy exciting national poetry month go yes, find a poet too. or go get some poetry poetry today there's so much going on out there even write a poem if you can there's yeah. so many themes there's so many um templates but everyone out there check out i am big poetry podcast on all your local channels and if you want to give me an email go to iambic zine that's i-a-m-b-i-c-z-i-n-e at gmail.com and we'll yes. be back for more shows for you and more things to talk about to my guests and to myself sharon smith uh <laughs> vice president of sacramento poetry center <laughs> Support, support your local poets we out here support your local poets out here I salute take care everyone peace <laughs>